Super Mario or Sonic? Sonic. <laughs> Native or interstitials? Interstitial. You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Melissa Zalouf, and you're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. Today on the show, we have Benoit, and actually, how do I pronounce your surname? Benoit Vater. I know, I know, it's not an easy one, but uh, here, I mean, usually, I'm, so I was born and raised in France, so in French, you say it Vater. Here in the U.S., Vater. most of the people say Vateri, so I'm good with both. Okay, so Benoit Vater or Vateri, depending on where you're located. Exactly. <laughs> CEO and founder of Mammoth Media. Um, thank you very much for being on the show today, Benoit. Thank you for having me. So um, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about designing games for that uh, elusive Gen Z audience. Um, but before we dive in, Benoit, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, how did you end up in the gaming industry? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, did my first startup out of college uh, back in France, sold it and moved to the US, to LA in 2003. So I've been in, in, in LA for the last 16 years. And uh, I got into gaming uh, actually through uh, the gaming network where uh, I was the CEO of Play Evan back in 2013 and 14. Uh, was a, you know, a pretty big network uh, back then uh, when video was not yet, video uh, ads were not yet too big and we were mostly playing with, uh, with display ads. So I ran the network for a couple of years before uh, selling it uh, to Rock you, uh, a gaming studio out of San Francisco. So during those like almost two years, learn uh, in depth the, the gaming space um, and understanding both sides, monetization and user acquisition. So, so from that experience, I you know, learned a lot and wanted to apply what I learned into gaming to, to other, uh, other type of media. Mm-hmm. But were you kind of always a gamer? I did, yeah. I mean, obviously, I grew up with consoles and, and played gaming games a lot. So, yeah, I always been in the in the gaming uh, side as a as a consumer. Mm-hmm. And what was the transition like from sort of going from the business side of things to you know the creation um, and kind of you know owning the product? It's, uh, I mean, on on the on the network side, it was really about understanding uh, how you monetize and how you you acquire users at scale. And and coming into that space was mind blowing to understand and see how sophisticated gaming publishers are, uh, and and the ability to scale fast and understand very clearly at a very granular level uh, what's going on. And 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 for me, uh, always being in that space of monetization and and user acquisition, but Outside of gaming, when I came into the gaming space, I was really, really impressed. Mm. Uh, yeah, I could, I could see that definitely being the case. Do you have a, a preference um, on kind of which side of the line? Not that there's a line, but but which side of the coin you'd like to be on? Uh, it's tough to say because they work together, uh, obviously. Mm. But I, I love, yes, the the rush of scale and acquire uh, acquiring you know thousands and millions of users, and when you see those real time. Uh, 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 dashboards and you see things taking off it's 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 a it's a great feeling and I love the rush so if I had to pick one side I would be on the user acquisition side 
Mm-hmm. And tell us a little bit more about Mammoth and, and kind of how it came about. It, it was, it came from an, am I right in saying it came from an incubator sort of accelerator science? Yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah. Uh, what happened is after I sold uh, uh, Play Evan, the idea was I, I, I knowing the media space outside of gaming pretty well, and and seeing that not a lot uh, was really done in terms of building a media company mobile first. Everybody was basically building content on top of social platform, but nobody really owned their audience nor their monetization. And so I, I figured that was a huge opportunity to bring the gaming knowledge around monetization and user acquisition to content entertainment. Mm. And, uh, and back then I was really close, obviously, to the team at Science with Mike Jones, the, the founder of the, the incubator Science. And, and run by him, obviously, the, the idea that I had to, to merge the, the gaming and, 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 and media entertainment uh, into that company called Mammoth. And, and he, he, he was really excited about the idea. I decided to, to incubate the idea within, within science. So uh, I started as a, as a project within science and, and grew from there. Cool. And so to, to kind of dive into our subject for the day, I'd actually like to start by defining Gen Z. Um, yep. <laughs> most people probably assume that they know what it refers to. And I feel like these terms get bandied about all the time. And I think it's useful sometimes to remind ourselves what they mean. I, for example, am yep. always surprised when I am reminded that I'm a millennial because um, <laughs> yep. I don't feel like one. Uh, so, so how old are Gen Z? Um, who are they? What percentage of the market do they represent? Yes, so uh, it's it, you're right. It's uh, it's very confusing sometimes because Gen Z is used as you know a term for everything that basically are people that are young. But there are millennials, there are Gen Z. Gen Z, as a definition, is anybody born between 1995 and 2019. So uh, it's basically uh, people that are up to 24 years old, uh, and um, and all, after that, it's millennial. So people born uh, before 1995 are millennial, and then before millennial are the Gen X, and then before Gen X are the the baby boomers. So the Gen Z are really the latest generation. We're thinking there are there are thoughts about another generation post Gen Z that maybe is getting defined right now as the Gen Alpha, but hasn't been yet clarified. So right now we're right in the in Gen Z, but it goes all the way to 24 years old. So it's a pretty wide range. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you look at the, the size of the market, uh, for the US, it's about 74 million US uh, uh, people. And globally, it's a 2 billion people. Wow. Uh, but what is very interesting is the, the number that says that by 2030, 30, so within the next 10 years, the Gen Z will represent 70% of the consumers hmm. in the world. So this is, this is a massive audience to work with. And obviously, when it comes to, to mobile, this is the generation that spends a lot, a lot of time on, on mobile. And I have like a couple of interesting facts that maybe get, are interesting to, to share around Gen Z. Uh, it's the, the Gen Z folks are... Like, uh, uh, at least for people that were born and raised in the U.S., uh, all the Gen Z are too young to remember or were born after 9-11, mm. right? So that tells you about what, what, what kind of population we are talking about. And for them, their core social media outlet for the millennials was Facebook. For them, they are into the Snapchat, TikTok generation. They are not on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, but they were born and raised with connectivity, with Wi-Fi, with the iPhone, 
So they haven't known the world without all those gadgets and, and high speed connection and ability to be online all the time. Right. And what and what are some of the, the stereotypes you think older generations have about Gen Z? I think the, the stereotype is people on their phone all the time. It's people taking selfies and posting on social platforms. It's uh, cord cutters. They don't watch bigger mm-hmm. screen anymore. The, all those things are really defining the, the generation. And it's text messaging. It's Snapchat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all those things that, you know, as we get older, it was like, why are they spending so much time on their phone? And, and that, I think that characterize the generation Z. Mm-hmm. And kind of what, what makes them tick? Um, what do they care about versus sort of, I mean, you mentioned 9-11, that's a pretty massive sort of watershed moment. Um, and yeah. also kind of being digital natives. Uh, I, I still remember the world before sort of mobile phones and the internet just about, um, but but being born with all of those things sort of already existing is, is obviously kind of a, a big, um, is a game changer. So kind of what makes this yeah. tick? I think right now that's interesting. I think we're going back because they were born with this. They have access to a lot of information and they are connected and get information close to real time. I think they start caring a lot more uh, about things that millennials didn't care much about, meaning like financial stability is a big thing in the Generation Z. Mm. Uh, Caring about what's going on in the world is a big thing with climate change. So things that people actually, it may not be, well understood, but that generation, because they have access to a lot of information and I've seen their parents not really caring much about it, go the other way around and really care about things that we didn't care about. Mm, mm. And and what about sort of how they engage with content? If we look at sort of the stories you have on Yarn, such as the Ascension series, mm-hmm. taking that as an example, yep. how does Gen Z differ from say millennials in how they engage with content? So, uh, especially, uh, I mean, what is core here is when we talk about mobile, but what, what they care about how does is being able to engage differ from so um, millennials in how they engage with content. Fast, right. And so there, they also, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but there are two types of content that they consume because the, the stereotype is Gen Z only consume short form. This is not true. They also consume long form. They can spend hours and hours on, on a device consuming content. Mm. But also they have those uh, very short amount of time in between classes when they are in school, in between chat messages, when they want to engage with content. And at that point, you need to be able to give them good content in a very short period of time. And in order to do that, the content has to be engaging within the first 10, 15 seconds. Mm. If not, they just double click, swipe up, go to the next thing. So when we build content for the Gen Z, we need to be able to get a story and characters that will get them hooked and engaged immediately. Right, that makes sense. It's kind of like a, a six-second YouTube ad uh, to a certain degree. It, it is, yeah. You kind of have to prove your you have to prove your worth it very, very fast today. Very, very fast, and that goes into the genre that you can work with when it comes to short form on mobile, like comedy, for example, or sci-fi requires a lot of character building and, uh, and requires time to get you engaged within the storyline. So they are generally that you are very difficult to work with on the short form on mobile, right. where everything that is around romance and, and, and fear and thriller are things that you can trigger those emotions very, very quickly. 
So that that narrows down the type of content you can work with when it comes to short form on mobile. So do you find that you're sort of you you find yourself appealing to those kind of emotions in your in your product, sort of catching on things that you know will elicit a very quick immediate response? Yeah, all the time. And and that's some that's things that we learn, right? Where that was obviously as we talk about it, that's obvious, but when you build and you don't necessarily know that at first. And so we actually worked across genera and tested everything. And we saw that I've actually those genera were not really working. Or maybe to be more specific as as we get into the product, is there's two types of content, which is true also when it comes to to longer form and when you work, when you think about the Netflix of the mm-hmm. world. You need content that you need content that will acquire the users, so content that will get the user to the platform and get them to basically subscribe or get into a trial. And once they are a customer, once they are engaged with your with your product, then you need to have content that will retain those users. And and so and so for uh, for us, yes, those two genera that I talk about that require very quick engagement or can trigger quick engagement are are very good for acquisition. So for content that will get users to come in and like the product and, and, and basically sign up for a trial or pay for the content. But then after that, those other content, other genera like comedy, sci-fi, are things that we still work with, but with users that are already engaged, that are already paying customers, that are now understand the quality of the product and I've, have time uh, to dedicate to the platform. So they have already some equity built into the product. So now they have more patience, I would say, to spend some time and, and really engage with the storyline that, that takes more time to get into. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of something um, that our sort of chief creative officer at Iron Source has, has said. I, I, I'm not sure that he necessarily coined the term, but he talked about scarevertising um, and this idea that sort of why is yeah. it, for example, that kind of Donald Trump's um, conversion rate, let's call it, is super high. Um Versus, mm-hmm. let's say, an Obama. I mean, both of them won elections. To be fair, um, there is yeah. there is something about tapping into when you want an immediate response, and when you're talking about acquiring users uh, or acquiring both. Yeah. Um, you want to be touching on those very basic, very powerful emotions um, because they do sort of elicit also quite visceral responses. Um, but I do, think that, very, especially yeah. when it comes to storytelling, you need to find a way to keep people around. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's affinity or kind of loyalty um, that will keep people around for the long term. There's only so often you're willing to be scared. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, and also to be fair in that in that generation, especially for us, especially we are on more on the female side. So a lot of our audience, mostly female, and there is for that younger generation, they love getting scared. So there, there is still a lot of affinity for that genre. But yes, you're right, is that there is so many times that you can get the, get this dopamine rush within the first seconds. At some point, you want also to offer more where you can really engage with a longer storyline. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about sort of building those um, those stories. You partnered with a creative studio called M2, uh, which focuses on multi-platform mm-hmm. storytelling um, when you were working on Yarn. Mm-hmm. What's the creative process like um, when you're looking at sort of writing scripts for Yarn? So it, it really depends on the partner. So you mentioned M2. We work with M2. We work with, actually, M2 is a very interesting one because M2 understands very well digital and short form. We work also with 
with the bigger studio, like we work with Disney on the, all their Marvel IP. We work with Sony, with NBC. So there's a, like a wide range of type of creators. Uh, so we see, uh, uh, for example, with M2, they were creating everything. They were writing everything. We obviously give them guidelines on what we've seen working before on how many characters you want, with the, the length of the story, like very, like we created what we call a Bible of like, things that we know work, usually work. Um, and so they write, we upload in Yarn, and obviously we review to make sure that it's in line with our, with our quality uh, standards. But once it's also uploaded, uh, we have data that will tell us what the engagement looks like on a line-by-line -line basis. So we feed that data back to the writers, and actually a story that has been uploaded may change over time because we see things in the story that don't necessarily work and at that point the writers will go and try to optimize towards what we look at towards kpis like completion of this the episode but also what we call continuation so from going from one episode to yeah. another so that's that's the process with a with a with a, a studio like m2 with a studio like marvel uh, actually, it's, uh, it's, it's both of us, them and us working. So usually we write for Marvel and they are then their writers review what we write and edit and make sure that the way the characters are talking are in line with their guidelines. And so there's a lot of back and forth and then goes into the platform. And when, um, when you're working with larger studios like Marvel, do you find that there's less flexibility or less openness to optimizing or iterating on the story over time based on that data feedback? So, yeah, that's that's a very interesting dynamic with them. They are actually thinking a lot bigger in terms of what they can do. But when it comes to execution, it's quite painful. So so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like when you're in the meeting, they love it. They have massive ideas and things like, yeah, that makes so much sense. That's going to be so fun. And then it comes to writing and then you get into, oh, no, we cannot say that. We cannot do that. Spider-Man cannot do those kind of things. Like, so it, it, is, it is a tricky thing. They are obviously extremely creative, which is why they are where they are. But also now because they deal with an IP that is so famous, they have to be very careful right, about what they do. Right. And um, what's kind of your process for looking at, at products for Gen Z more generally? What's your process for identifying and evaluating products that you think will or won't be a fit for Gen Z? Yeah, so for us, first, we, we are outside of like core gaming, right? We are, I would say we are the hyper-casual or hyper-casual, right? Because we are basically, it's all mostly content, a lot of, obviously we use gamification and, and gaming mechanics and, and virtual currency and all the things that are happening in games, but we deal only with content. So when we think about how we produce, uh, how we create a new product for Gen Z, we look at what is disrupting in terms of how they will consume content beyond just consuming what I call snackable content on social platform. So what we look at is obviously, uh, and we learned that uh, along the way, but he has to be short, short form. He has to be like less than two minutes to, to get into, to consume that piece of content. So that's one thing, regardless of, of mm -hmm. the format. Then the, the other thing that we look is we look at interactivity. It cannot be a passive consumption. You have to have some kind of action mm -hmm. with the screen. 
So it cannot just be you, you, you launch a video or you launch a piece of content and you wait and you watch uh, or you read. Yes, to, you have to tap on the screen. You have to, you have to make decisions. You, you, you have to engage with the content. You have to build equity with the product. Um, and then after that, for us, it comes down to, again, to the same thing that game publishers are looking at. We look at our uh, LTV and CAC, right? So we look at how strong of an LTV we can get. So it's a, obviously, like everybody knows, a combination of retention and, and conversion rate into paying actions or, or consumption of ads. And then it's, uh, it's testing ads uh, across networks to see what is, the be, what is going to be the cost of acquisition how good the format is to acquire users. What is the IPM of those, uh, of those ads? Are, are they very engaging or not? Uh, so it's a, it's a, it goes from the product itself to be very engaging. And, and, and then is there a good LTV to CAC ratio that will allow us to scale? Mm-hmm. How do you go about testing for marketability with Gen Z? So we are lucky enough right now. So the, when we started, it was really like really just our guts and, and, and trying and then acquiring users against that MVP that we built. Uh, that, that was for the first app. But now we have uh, a couple apps at scale. Uh, Wishbone got over 30 million downloads so far. And actually, Wishbone is a perfect uh, marketplace for us to, to ask for opinion. It, this is an opinion app. You vote on things, right? So we use that to test our own things, right? We, we use that to ask for feedback on things that we want to test, but also we have access to those users. So we actually do uh, get on the phone with our users. We do a uh, group uh, interview here in the office. So we have access to those users now because we have products that they're already interacting with. And what is, what's kind of the, the spending power of Gen Z? They're about to become, well, will within a decade become a very sort of significant part of the of kind of global consumers. Are they spenders? They, they are spenders. Uh, and, and again, remember, Gen Z goes uh, all the way to 24 right. years old. So there is a, a wide range of users. We don't obviously do with uh, users that are less than 13 all of our product or 13 plus so we deal with 13 to 25 when you're on the higher end when you're on the 18 25 they have uh disposable income from themselves by working jobs or from their parents so they have access to cash in their Mm -hmm. itunes account to spend on single transaction and and they are not thinking much like maybe older generation do where it's like 99 cents, $1.99. They don't really think that it's a lot because they are used to spend three to four bucks on a cup of coffee. So when you ask for 99 cents, when they, are, when they ask for 99 cents or $1.99, they're like, yeah, sure. It's not even a coffee. I'll spend that to, to right. make a piece of content. So they are not caring much about the amount. And, um, and then the younger one, actually, uh, especially on the Apple platform, Apple made it very easy for younger folks to spend. So I have kids myself that are Gen Z's, and I, I see that all the time where I get notifications on my screen saying, uh, uh, he wants to spend, my son wants to spend 99 cents, I want to subscribe yeah. to a product. So it's just for me to accept or deny and, and so it, it makes it very easy to, for them to spend on the younger generation to spend on a digital, uh, on a device mm-hmm. like the iPhone. 
So it is actually pretty easy to get uh, to get those that mm. audience to spend. And how do they view brands? I mean, I, I sort of can remember hearing that more and more your average consumer is quite sort of distrustful um, of brands that, or they're looking for sort of messages coming from big brands that aren't overtly marketing focused, um, but more sort of about being sincere and authentic um, and, and not overly yeah. brandy, I guess. Um, so how, uh, how, how, what, how does that translate for Gen Z? Are they sort of indifferent to brands, hostile, uh, favorable? I mean, they love brands, first and foremost. They, they love, they, they are big fan, right? So when they engage with the brand, they are all in or not in at all. There, there's no like in middle. Uh, but when it comes to interacting with marketing messages, uh, yes, they are much more into native integration. So they love when brands are partnering with influencers. They love when brand, for example, for us, on uh, I'll take two examples, one on the wishbone, one on yarn. But on the wishbone, uh, having a brand ad as a full screen and justicial is not really their thing. If it's a full screen and justicial, they rather have like a playable for my own source, for example, where they can interact with the game, see if they like it or not. If they like it, they are going to go and download and play with it. But if it's just to look at a 30 seconds video of a car, that's not their thing. But then what, for example, we did with, uh, with Sephora uh, that, or, or even Starbucks, both of them came on the platform and created their own account on Wishbone and start creating content mm. for people to vote. And so they were voting on what, what makeup do you prefer? What color of drinks do you prefer? Those kind of things. So users were interacting with the brand. They are a big fan of the brand. They love working like interacting with the brand this way yeah it it all really goes back to interactivity as you said yeah they love the interactivity they love the the, the brand being part of what the what they do during the day and not just being forced into consuming some kind mm -hmm. of marketing messages and um and the same the same with uh, with yarn yarn is a different platform it's storytelling but it's it's very similar to what happens in the movie industry it's it's product placement so we have stories where uh, where, for example, on um, uh, we have a story where it's a, a businesswoman traveling the world, and when she calls her friend back home, she uses Skype. So in the story, she's using Skype, and that's the brand name is obviously mentioned, and that's the the, the users don't mind. And actually, that makes right. all sense, right? And um, and so that's how brands get themselves in front of Gen Zs. And, and in a very meaningful way and, and, and a way that they will remember the brand. Mm -hmm. And you did a collaboration with uh, music star um, Kristen Hancher. Is that a sign of, sort of yep. more to come um, to, to also sort of partnerships like that or work working with influencers work well with Gen Z? Yes, 100%. So uh, Gen Z's uh, celebrities are completely different from the celebrities of the millennials or Gen X or boomers, right? It's... Uh, it's uh, for them, when, when you talk to younger folks and you say, who are your favorite uh, uh, actor? And they keep mentioning YouTube names. You're like, who are they? Uh, and so, so working with them when it comes to tell stories makes so much sense. That's how we work with Kristen because she had such a big first social footprint. So we could basically promote the story very well through our own channels. And, and, and also the engagement with, the, with our fan base was massive because she was acting. And so they were really looking forward to see her beyond just the pose that she had on all the social platform, but seeing her as an actress. But also remember all those celebrities from social platforms, they are looking for ways to monetize mm -hmm. their celebrity status. And, 
And, and right now, the only way, or up until now, the only way that they could do that was through brand sponsorship on their channels. And that just turns them into basically a vehicle for the brand, but that was not, that's not a way for them to mm. showcase their talent. So all those influencers are actually looking, uh, looking for ways to monetize their status, leveraging their talent. So being offering them to be part of a story, to act, to sing, to dance, it's something that they love. And, and also things that social platforms are looking for to have their, uh, their celebrities to, to be mm -hmm. recognized for their talent. And sort of talking about um, reaching new audiences, how does um, Yarn split up its marketing efforts? Um, or, or really maybe speaking more broadly, um, also including Wishbone, what's Gen Z's sort of preferred channel for finding new apps? Um, how do they like, you mentioned, you know, um, playable ads, for example, and, and I think it goes to interactivity, but yeah. where do Gen Z like to find their yeah. next kind of content fix? So, so for us, uh, like you mentioned, all the, the gaming networks with playable ads are our number one. Uh, this is where they can engage with the format. This is where they are because they play a lot of games and they spend a lot of time on their phone. So this is where we can find them. And then it's uh, on social platforms, um, but not all social platforms. Yeah. Uh, Facebook doesn't work. Uh, Instagram is, is okay. Snapchat works really well. TikTok works really well. So it's kind of where they are, which is Snap, TikTok, and Gaming Ad Network. Uh, and then it's outside of like standard paid user acquisition is what we just mentioned before is working with influencers. So we do a lot of work with smaller and bigger influencers that talk about the product or are part of the mm. product. And do you find that sort of, um, I'm curious about this, uh, you're probably not doing much of it, but do Gen Z also, or do you find that sort of companies that are targeting Gen Z um, consumers will also invest in kind of more typical traditional brand advertising? I mean, to a certain degree, influencers is, is kind of like that, but are you ever seeing um, companies go after sort of old school, you know, TV ads or um, sort of, I guess, I mean, what out of home? No, I mean, we, we tried actually, uh, we tried, we partnered with Disney on a lot of things and tried uh, TV commercials on their core Gen Z uh, channels that is, used to be called ABC Family, now called Freeform in the US. And it just doesn't work. I mean, you see a little, you see a little blip of, uh, of installs and, and that's about it. So they remember now uh, where they spend their time is on YouTube to consume content outside of social platform. It's, it's YouTube, it's all the OTT like Netflix, Hulu, and, and, and you know, all those places. So, so trying to spend money on, on, on TV advertising, on standard cable TV mm -hmm. doesn't work well. Uh, but advertising on YouTube, yes. Advertising on, um, on, you know, if possible, like on a Hulu where there is some ad supported. Yes, that's interesting. But remember also for, and probably for listeners that are in the, in the space is uh, YouTube for app downloads. We cannot just target YouTube for app downloads, right? There's, uh, you have to go through uh, UAC and, and, and so you, you basically have to target the entire network. So actually we're pretty limited about what we can do with YouTube to target just a, an app download. 
So that's why for us, like all those things that are outside of those core channels that I mentioned before are pretty challenging to work with. Interesting. And and for my last question, something that's maybe a little bit more, um, I guess, future looking. Do you think, I mean, they're already, it already covers quite a broad range of, of ages, but do you think Gen Z will evolve in their preferences as they age? Um, and and how or, or will you change kind of your your app accordingly or whatever products you're working on at the time accordingly? Uh, I mean, will that change? Probably with new platforms and a new ability to deliver content. So will, you know, VR work at some point and get some skill and that may change the way we have to deliver content maybe. Uh, I think that's actually as behavior change, and that's how generation are being defined. I was reading a, a paper on that. They look for five years, cons- cons- five, five years in a row of change of behaviors mm-hmm. in the way they consume. And so we may actually find that that generation alpha has a different type of behaviors when it comes to when it comes to consumption mm-hmm. of content. And at this point, that is going to be up to us. Do we want to build product for that generation? Probably. The answer is yes, because right. that's the upcoming generation. They will, they are born and, and will grow up with those new uh, behaviors. So yes, but I think Gen Z is actually defined mm-hmm. by the way they consume. So uh, it's like millennials. Yes, we are evolving a bit as we see new platforms. But we're still kind of anchored in the way we are. Uh, we've been educated, the world we've been living in, and and those like thirty years of of education and 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 living in this world got us set in the way we are behaving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Um, this has been a very enjoyable. Uh, it feels almost philosophical. Um, uh, <laughs> and I, I have to say, I might feel more affinity for Gen Z than I do uh, for millennials, but I guess that's no surprise. Um, Benoit, thank you very much for being on the show with us and sharing all of your sort of in-depth knowledge on Gen Zers. Um, And everyone else, thanks so much for listening. Tune in to our next episode where we'll be talking all things mobile game growth, development, and enjoyment. iOS or Android? iOS. Game Boy or Xbox? Game Boy. Suits or jeans? Jeans. Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? NSYNC. <laughs>